Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And don't miss our one-minute Exit Coach Tip of the Day on ExitCoachRadio.com. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Carl Gould is joining us from Riverdale. He's with Seven Stage Advisors. He's a chief discovery officer there. And we're going to talk about hyper growth and how to uncover the hidden value and untapped potential in your business. So, Carl, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it, Bill. Good to be My on. My pleasure. My pleasure. Tell us a little bit about you and, uh, and Seven Stage Advisors and, and what you all do. Sure. Well, Seven Stage Advisors is based on a methodology that I had written, uh, gosh, now almost 20 years ago. Uh, it's a growth cycle and, and business acceleration model that's based halfway on uh, the um, life cycle model and halfway on life coaching and goal acceleration methodology. So it's it's really how to take a business, set specific goals, align them in a specific sequence for growth, and then, you know, just kind of uh, letting the business take off. So uh, Seven Stage Advisors is just the name of the firm that we use uh, that piggybacks on the methodology that we've used for years now with our clients. So when you work with a business owner, you come in and you, you start with a diagnostic process and figure out, you know, where they're, where they're stuck for growth. Is that where, where you start? Pretty much. We, we start with you by putting the uh, business under the, under the microscope, no question about it. Get a little x-ray, MRI type thing. Um, and uh, one of the, the secret sauce in our methodology is that way back when in the 90s, I used to um, do a lot of work with personality assessments. And I started to realize that the personality of a business mirrors the personality of its owner. And, um, and we made that correlation, um, you know, at first it was anecdotally. You said, oh, my God, this person's organized. They have an organized business. This one's schizophrenic. They have a schizophrenic business, right? But then we're able to validate it scientifically with a number of our assessment instruments. And, and, um, and, so, that's, uh, and so we use that as a way to really target where the greatest impact in the, impact in the business will be right away. Then we go back, create the plan based on what we've learned, and see how we can take the business to the next level. So by understanding the owner, you're, you, you found that there's a correlation. You're going to find out where the, the biggest bottleneck in the business is, and where, where is the business biggest bottleneck? Well, usually it is the owner. Um, if you mm-hmm. were to uh, look at the stages of growth of a business, um, in the early stages, it's actually very important that the owner's personality is reflected in the business. Um, it needs to. Right, because the business is still in, in its infancy; it's still learning what it wants to be when it grows up, and so it's very important that it does attach itself to the to the business owner. But then there comes a point where it needs to cut the umbilical cord, and right in that time, when it comes to uh, growth, the owner is actually the biggest bottleneck. You know, they say, "Where does bottleneck happen? At the bottom of a bottle or the top of the bottle?" Well, it happens at the mm. top of the bottle, right? And who's there? It's the, usually the owner, right? Good analogy. You know, and, and here's the problem that I see is that since 2008, a lot of business owners that were planning on maybe uh, selling or transitioning out of their business got kind of held back 
and they've had to work very, very hard. So a lot of them are very, very tired. And so let's talk about that. What toll has that last five years since the global financial crisis taken on most business owners today? Well, yeah, it's, it's a great point because they, um, you know, the world flipped upside down eight years ago, and, and we run in these approximately 80-year cycles, what they call the business seasons, the seasons of business. And right around the mid-2000s and 2008, for sure, with the financial crisis, the, the economy just flipped on its head. It actually does this every 80 years. It's, not, it's nothing new. It's a very predictable uh, pattern, but, you know, I, you, I, well, I don't know you that well, Bill, but I don't think 80 years ago you were running your business, right? Right. <laughs> so you and I weren't around. We don't remember 80 years ago. My parents weren't around, you know, but my grandparents and great-grandparents remember it. Um, but, you know, it's long enough that we all forget and it's all new to us. But every 80 years we go through the kind of economic correction that we're going through now and it's not so much that we have tough times because everybody knows how to get through tough times that that's we all deal with that in our lives what happens though is the way people buy actually flips to the opposite from prior to the crisis to now and so not only is there all this change that we have to deal with but while we were sleeping or when we blinked our eye or turned our head everybody started buying differently Right. And um, and so it takes it took the last five years for these businesses to recover, to survive, to figure it out. It took a tremendous amount of energy. Uh, so if you're wondering, well, how did people used to buy and how do they buy now? They used to buy in the last season of business prior to 2005. Most people would uh, trade their money for convenience, money for time. Right, and this was pre-internet. People would pay a little bit more if it saved them some time, because when we buy, we try we we try to get the thing we don't have. Right, so when we buy something, we don't have time, so we're trying to get our time back. I'll pay a little bit more. Take me to the express line. I don't want to wait in line. I want to go past the velvet rope, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, but now we have plenty of time. Right, and so we have time to research things. We have time to check things out and do our validation, and then and then uh, you know we measure three or four times, and then we cut. Right, we research, then we buy. Well, how you position your company is almost directly, in some ways, directly the opposite of the way you would in the past. So this has been a tough lesson for a lot of businesses, and they have been struggling to figure it out, to reposition themselves, reorganize the way they do business. And when you put that much energy internally in the business to figure out your operations and your positioning and your pricing, it's exhausting. You know, it takes you twice as long to sell something. It takes you, you know, you work twice as hard to get half as much done. And now it's 2015, right? We have a glimmer of hope, right? According to... um, According to history, though, we do have one more correction in the marketplace, but, you know, we'll be better prepared for it this time around. But mm-hmm. everybody's mm-hmm. like, okay, we're ready now. But I'm I'm so tired. The last five years has just flat out worn me out. And, and I know I should be excited about my next stage of growth, but I'm whipped. I'm so tired. You know, I, so that's, that's a big problem that we're seeing right now where they just don't have a lot of it, lot in the tank right now to, to really pr- propel themselves to the next level of growth. Yeah, and a lot of people have been, uh, had been, up until that 2008 occurrence, had been 
running their business rather, you know, maybe less more casually than before, maybe as a lifestyle business. And the the other issue that's that's coming up in this trending is this 77 million baby boomers that are now reaching retirement age, turning age 65 at 10,000 a day. And then a lot of them, that's a certainly an age and in their 50s are an age when they're starting to think maybe the next couple of years I'm going to get out of this business. Uh, but you don't have the energy that you had when you were in your 30s and 40s, certainly. So you compound that with their, they're even more tired because they've had to really uh, work hard. You know, you, you came back from your nice lifestyle business, and I've heard this from numerous business owners, and now I'm working really, really hard because I had to lay off people and I wasn't getting the orders and it's just stressful dealing with all the credit crunch and all that kind of stuff. So what's the number one thing that you would say a business owner can do right now to start growing their business? Right. Well, the um, because because of the way things went topsy-turvy, the way that you have to sell your product and service changes almost, almost overnight, right? I mean, look what we're doing now. We're on blog talk radio. I mean, A, internet radio didn't exist 10 years ago. Blogs were written. They're not video. And so, I mean, today's an example of of how how communication and how we sell and promote our services changes. It, it's it's a wonderful thing. It's just you know it's so much so much different than it was before, right? Now, what I would encourage anyone who's listening, first thing to do, and actually this show is a really good example of it, Bill, is um is take your sales process and do what we call segment. So segment your sales process, and. And I, I've got a I've got a quick quiz for you, Bill. Are you ready? Quick question. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Can an auto can a car salesman sell you a car? Yes or no? Can a car salesman sell you a car? Yes or no? Yeah. Uh, oh boy. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say yes. You're going to say yes. So, in a way, they can get you excited about the car. But let me ask you a question. I'll, I'll give you I'll give you one more chance at the end at the answer. If you walked into an auto dealership and you said whatever, they, let's say they wanted thirty thousand for the car, you walked in and you said, "I'll take it," and you even wrote a check right there, thirty thousand bucks. Can that salesperson sign the contract and let you drive away with that car? Okay, I, you're you're talking about selling as a sale. The word "sale" as a verb versus a noun, and I guess at that point, I, no, they can't. They cannot make that transaction happen. Correct. So, so, but you're actually you're you're actually a step ahead of me as I thought you would be because in our terminology, yes, they can sell the car, but they can't close the deal, right? And so, a car selling a car is and it is a great example of segmentation of the process. If I walked in and I wanted to buy a car and I saw the list price and I wrote a check right then and there, the salesperson isn't even empowered to close the transaction because in that sale process there's a seller and there's a closer okay and what a lot of a lot of companies were doing in the last uh season of business back in in the in fall prior to 2005 was one person was doing all the selling you'd come you not in the auto dealership world but in in mm-hmm. most businesses you just meet them they get you fired up about the product they can they can swipe the card, take the check, whatever, uh, sign the contract, and usually they can consummate the sale right there. Well, now we're in a different world, right? And um, and so just like an auto dealership, we like to see companies segment, meaning 
put your sellers, your relationship builders, the people that are going to get you excited about the product, explain the features, advantages, and benefits. Get them excited and, and enthused about making the purchase. And then walk them over, just like they do in the auto dealership, walk them over to the business manager or what we call the closer. And that person can be the one that works through payments and contracts and, and um uh, payments and contracts and pay schedules and, and commitments and, and all the legality of the transaction, right? And the reason why we say to do this is that now that, we've, now that the uh, economic landscape has gotten a lot more competitive, even in selling, there's a bit of a specialty, right? Just like this show. This show pro, you know, provides a lot of information, gets people excited about this topic, uh, about you, possibly even your services or, or the other things that you represent um, uh, monetarily or, or, you know, interest for your sponsors or however, and then they take the next step and they go into some sort of closing process, product, or sequence where they, they become a paying customer. So this show is actually a great example. We're doing the selling right now, right? There's no commitment. It's the honeymoon. We're sharing mm-hmm. information. If they want to take the next step, there is a next step, and that's the closing. So that's a way to accelerate in this economic climate quickly. So we're raising the interest and desire that leads to the transaction. But what I, what I, I guess is the main reason for that is that there are two different skill sets and you should have, you know, you should you cr- create an environment where your your sales relationship builder people are not getting bogged down in the, the, the transactional side of things, but instead going back out and creating more excitement. Is that the idea behind that? That's yeah, that's the idea. The um um and and because the uh, uh, someone who's traditionally a salesperson isn't usually great at closing, and a closer mm-hmm. isn't always great at relationship building. And because of the way things have changed, and because um you know uh, a lot of companies had to break their promises to customers. You know, like. Um, Hey, it's guaranteed. Hey, keep your money with me, and it'll be safe. And and um, and and hey, look, the company will be around for years and years and years, and you have a lifetime warranty on this appliance. And now some of those companies aren't even around to honor those promises. So the customer is a bit more skeptical, and they want to see transparency. And they're they're a much more educated consumer. And so it's it's not good enough to be just good enough at certain things. The in in the economic climate that we're in right now, purchasers defer to experts. They defer mm-hmm. to what they perceive to be an authority. And now, in this day and age, with the internet and how, how much transparency and reviews and all that, um, it's actually helped the customer make the uh, vendor to be more transparent. And so they could tell if you're not good at something, they're going to see right through it. If you don't care, they're going to see right through it. So if you if you can get that seller who's a good relationship builder, a good connector, and somebody who's really passionate about the product, that will come through. And if you have somebody who's a good closer, that will come through. And so the consumer wants to wants to be around people who are really good at what they do. They want to be around the authority in their niche. And interestingly enough, as money gets tighter – People are actually willing to pay more for your product and service if you're an authority. That's the That's difference great. in the climate we're in right now. 
That's great stuff. So let's we only have a couple minutes left, Carl, unfortunately, but let's talk about your book, um, The Seven Stages of Small Business Success. Tell us about what what's in it and uh, and uh, help our uh, our listeners uh, raise their desire to to purchase it. How about how's that? <laughs> <laughs> Way to go! See, you're you're segmenting I'm already. Learning. The guy's brilliant, everyone. Um, well, thank you. the The book is called The Seven Stages of Small Business Success, from startup to seven figures in three years or less. And what we've done is we have taken the data from seventy five thousand coaching sessions over 10,000 uh, assessments and, and um, you know, years of working with small businesses in 35 countries, and we have found out what works and what doesn't when you want to accelerate the growth of your business. There are seven distinct stages. You can't skip them. You have to go through one after the other. And one of the things that we learned after working with all the businesses we have is that sequence matters. Sequence matters. You know, you can't buy your way to the top. You can't purchase your trophy. You have to earn your way there. And each distinct stage builds on its own. It uh, builds on its own, and then one builds on the other. So you have to go in sequence. You have to take these things in order. And if you do, you reach a, you reach an area of growth in your business where there's nothing stopping you, and it's just uh, you know green pasture as far as, you, as the eye can see. However, if you try to skip a stage, which a lot of people do, you get unfairly punished for it, and it could be a real setback. Great stuff, Carl. I really want to thank you for joining us today. And listeners, go to the seven number seven stages of smallbusinesssuccess dot com. Find out about Carl, his book, and his video interview in each of the seven stages. And Carl, I want you to come back on and share more about the seven stages with us at some point. So uh, I look forward to talking to you again in the very near future. And I really want to thank you for joining us today. Hey, thanks so much. I really appreciate it, Bill. Talk to you soon. You're listening to ExitCoachRadio.com, the information station for age 50-plus business owners, where we're interviewing top advisors for their best tips, ideas, and precautions so you can be well-planned. We upload new one-minute tips every day. ExitCoachRadio.com. Come listen for a minute. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 